Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We are actually changing topics today. Woohoo! We spent the last 17 episodes discussing the creation versus evolution controversy and intelligent design, and we covered a lot of ground. Maybe more than you even wanted. I won't charge you for that, but believe it or not, there's a lot more we could have covered, but I'll save that for a future podcast. You might be thinking, what could we possibly have skipped? I'm glad you're asking. Uh, Try these on for size. We could have talked about beneficial mutations. We did talk about mutations. We could have talked about those that are said to be beneficial, like um, bacteria evolving resistance to antibiotics. It's a really interesting story there, but for a future broadcast, we could have talked about the DNA's error correction system, which is really, really complex, and it's actually coded in the DNA to begin with. Uh, We could have talked about theistic evolution. That's the concept, theistic, theism, God, used evolution. Many, many people fall on that side of the aisle. They believe that God used evolution. That is a huge topic. That's somewhat related to where we're headed, but not directly. Um, But we will talk about that in a short series in the future. How about human evolution? We didn't talk about any of the ape men that are out there, the supposed ape men. That's a huge topic. We'll cover that in the future. We could have covered some of the typical of what we call icons of evolution. You know, Darwin's tree of life, this tree that branches out into all the other forms. You've seen the picture. The whole idea there is an icon. You see a picture and you associate it with something. Well, a lot of these things are instantly associated with evolution. The Darwin's tree of life, the horse series, the progression of the horse is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, The fossil of Archaeopteryx, Darwin's finches. You see these different beaks on finches associated with Darwin's idea of evolution and all that. Uh, We'll cover that in the future. We skipped that for now. And then the origin of life. How did the whole thing get started? How do you get life from non-life? That is a huge topic. We will definitely cover that in the future, and I'll probably bring some experts in on that to go even deeper. But for now, we're taking a different turn, a different direction. I wasn't sure which way to go after 17 podcasts on creation evolution, but then I had an epiphany. And once I had that, I looked it up in the dictionary to find out what an epiphany was. Just kidding. (laughs) But I did have an idea of where we should go next. Now, since the beginning of these podcasts earlier this year, I've been covering some things that are pretty big and very significant in nature, uh, in the nature of what they are. They're not minor side topics. I mean, we discussed the origin of stuff. Where did stuff come from? Everything, matter and energy, the entire universe. I did four episodes on the origin of the universe. Then we talked about the existence of God. That's a huge topic. We did six episodes on that. We did five episodes on evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. It's not just another religious book out there. It actually is what it claims to be. We did two episodes on the big picture of the Bible, one on the Old Testament, just a timeline, like what's the flow of it, what's going on there, and then we covered the New Testament. And then we did the Genesis flood. 
That's massive. That's a worldwide event. Did it actually happen, or is it just a mythological story in the Bible? Well, we showed all the physical evidences for that and the significance of that event. So we've been hitting some pretty big topics. But before I do the big reveal here and where we're headed next, make sure you subscribe to these podcasts. And also, if there's any way you find it in your heart to leave a five-star review, that helps us greatly reach more and more people. It does make a big difference. And again, we have a lot of resources on our website, thestartingpointproject.com. If you're new to these podcasts, that's the name of our ministry, The Starting Point Project. Uh, I travel around the country, United States, and around the world. I've been in nine other countries speaking on these topics of a defense of the Christian worldview. So that's what the ministry is all about, The Starting Point Project. So what can you expect today? We're taking this turn, so where are we headed? Well, you can expect the unexpected seriously. We'll be sitting on a time bomb, and it's about to go off, so how is that for a teaser? (laughs) Uh, When I was trying to decide what topic to do next, knowing that it's certainly time for change, I thought, if it's about time to change, Let's make it about time. You know, how clever is that? Even if you don't like the topic, you have to admit it's kind of a clever transition here. Now, sometimes there's a topic that is so fascinating. You could actually be listening to someone who's really not that great of a speaker, but you're glued anyway because of how much you enjoy the subject. Other times, the subject really isn't your favorite, but it's so controversial that you can't help but be interested in hearing about it. You know, so where are you on this topic? We will soon find out. I haven't really even explained what I mean when I say the topic will be time. I'm getting there. Just give me time, pun intended. Not really that funny, but I guess it qualifies as a pun. It makes your eyes roll so that I guess it really was a pun. Um, well, in my soon-to-be 39 years of experience speaking on topics related to the Christian faith, nothing has been more controversial and more misunderstood than what we are headed into. Yes, we're going to be delving into the often dreaded subject, the age of the earth. Seriously, I just said the phrase age of the earth, and it's already evoked a response from probably every single listener. Something just went off in your mind, in your body, whatever, It elicited a response from you based on whatever experience you've had with that particular topic. For many of you, you're already emotional. It's kind of like disturbing just thinking, oh, that's what we're going to talk about. And you've had bad experiences arguing with someone else about it or telling them why it doesn't matter, whatever it is. You already have a response, and I haven't said anything about it other than that's going to be the topic. So that tells you a little bit of why this is a, a powder keg that potentially could go off. We're going to try to navigate around the emotions here, just look at this rationally. But the first response of many Christians and other religious people is to think, what could possibly be less interesting and less important than the age of the earth? I mean, really, who cares how or when God created everything? It doesn't matter. You're making a big deal out of nothing. In fact, you're causing division within the faith just by making it an issue. That's a very common response. Christians specifically would add, 
We're just here to worship Jesus, and you are distracting people into debating something that is of no value. Well, it probably even makes a head spin of atheists and other skeptics who are thinking, um, maybe you didn't get the notice, but the age of the earth, it's been settled a long, long time ago. Um, we use something we call science, but you know, maybe you have never heard of that. I mean, you might as well debate the existence of the earth itself as long as you're at it. Again, that's the mindset of a lot of people coming into this topic. So I have my work cut out for me in trying to address this in a very calm, rational way and even convince you it's worth talking about. Well, guess what? I get those responses. And I get those responses. <laughs> Meaning, I do receive those responses from people that are like that. And I also get them, meaning I understand them. So I get them, and I get them. And that reminds me a little, here's a funny, semi-funny side note. Uh, you may remember the old television series called Police Squad. Featured Leslie Nielsen, and it came out in 1982. Yeah, I know, a long time ago. It was canceled after just six episodes, but I, I think it was pretty funny. Uh, there was one scene in which Leslie Nielsen... He was trying to entrap a criminal. So he surprisingly walked into the criminal's home office, and here's their brief interaction. Who are you, and how did you get in here? I'm a locksmith, and I'm a locksmith. Well, maybe your sense of humor is more refined than mine, but I loved that scene, and Nielsen uh, pulled it off as only he could do. Uh, anyway, kind of funny. So why did I even bring that up? Because in reference to how people respond to the age of the earth topic, you know, I said, I get those responses and I get those responses. So I'm locksmith and I'm a locksmith. <laughs> uh, so you see how unworth it all was bringing that up. You just have to allow me to entertain myself once in a while. I get really bored listening to me all the time. So I need a break once in a while. So back to the more serious conversation. We will obviously discuss evidence for one view and the other, but there are so many things that need to be considered before we can have a meaningful discussion. And also to keep your interest, they need to be discussed ahead of time. Seriously, if I just started talking about radiometric dating, it would be somewhat interesting, but I might lose you if you think none of this really even matters. So again, my work is cut out for me but I'm up to the challenge, and I guarantee this topic will be very, very enlightening. Another reason for taking time to introduce the subject properly is that an effective speaker or a salesperson, and I'm not trying to sell you anything, they will always anticipate objections ahead of time and disarm the listener in advance. It's just something that's wise to do for anyone in a conversation. So think about this scenario. He got a vacuum cleaner salesman, and he knows his products are pretty pricey. Homeowners uh, are naturally somewhat shocked when they find out how much these things really cost. So before they can even react, he says something like, I know that you may think this is very expensive, but you will actually end up saving money. So you see, cheaper vacuum cleaners, they blow a lot of dust right through the bag, into the air, all throughout your home. 
it causes breathing problems, you don't sleep as well, you're more susceptible to colds, you'll miss more days of work, um, and you'll get the rest of your family sick. And the other vacuum cleaners are much harder on your carpeting and wears it out faster, which means replacing it, and you know how expensive that is. So by the time the salesman actually reveals the seemingly high price of the vacuum cleaner, they've already virtually removed all of the potential reasons for not buying it. If you say you can't afford it, that doesn't work because they already showed you how you're going to end up spending more than that if you don't buy this vacuum cleaner. So I've actually had vacuum cleaner salesmen in my house, you know, years ago, and they, they went through that spiel and I was kind of seeing it as it was coming out and I wasn't upset with them. That, that makes sense. It's a, I don't want to call it a clever ploy because sometimes it could be literally true. If you really think it through, sometimes they're being a little extreme with the examples they use. But it's not a bad technique to let people know. In fact, it just popped into my head right now. When I was doing computer programming, I used to approach some of the clients saying, I could come in and automate many of these processes that your workers are doing every day that they're here. And yes, it will cost you to pay me to program something to automate that. And it'll cost you X amount of dollars. However, right now, I did a survey and your employees are spending, combined with the three, four, five, six, eight, whatever there were, they're spending 60 hours a week combined doing these processes. And at their salaries, that's a lot of money every week of the year, you know, 50, 52 weeks a year or whatever. So here's what you are currently paying them. Before I showed up, this is what you're paying them. If I come in and automate this, you're going to pay me this much, which is a fraction of that. And now, instead of each of them spending two hours each day doing whatever, they can click a button and five seconds later, it's done. And there's no mistakes in it. It's going to be perfect each time. So I showed them, you can send me away, that's fine. But you're going to, this is how much money you're going to spend and how much you have been spending before I showed up. And you will continue to spend every week. Or you can pay me this much now. And you'll save that much money. In fact, the project will pay for itself in four weeks or two months or whatever. And then you're actually making money after that. So it's wise to do that. You Again, you anticipate arguments ahead of time. And I need to do that with this particular topic because, again, it evokes so many emotions along the way. Um, even the Apostle Paul, who wrote much, if not most, of the New Testament, he was really good at addressing his audience's potential objections ahead of time. When he was in Romans, the book of Romans that he wrote, when he was making the point that our salvation is completely by faith in Jesus Christ and not by any of the works that we do, he knew people would push back right away. He knew they'd be thinking, wait a minute, if our salvation is just by faith, it's not by our good works and what we try to do, well, then we can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. We're still saved. Nothing matters. Before they could even utter that, Paul brings up a very important point. He says, it was in Romans 6.15. He rhetorically asks, after he's just stated that salvation is by faith alone and not by our works, he asks, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He said, by no means. King James actually says, God forbid, no. You can just go out and sin now because it's all by grace and just faith alone. And he, he goes on to flesh that out and, and explain that even more. But he knows his audience and he knows their objections ahead of time and he, he addresses them before they have a chance to even respond. So 
I often try to do that. It's just wise. It makes sense. It's not a trick. It's wise. In fact, our ministry, the Starting Point Project, initially was called the Creation Education Center because I talked about creation. That was most of what I talked about. So my business card said Creation Education Center. People would come in here talk. They'd get really excited. They would take one of my cards and they would hand it to someone else, their pastor or conference leader, and the pastor or whomever would look at my card, Creation Education Center, and instantly, nope, they're done. No, uh, been there, done that. We've heard talks on creation. They're too technical. Doesn't really matter. Too hard to understand. It's too divisive. There are different views out there. It really doesn't matter. We don't want to upset people. Boom. They would never look at the website. They wouldn't contact me to find out, wait a minute. No, this is, this is not what you're thinking. This is very graciously presented. It's very, very biblically sound. It's very scientifically sound, and it actually matters, and here's why. They would never hear those things because instantly when they saw the topic was about creation, they're like, no, we don't want to upset the apple cart here. we got a good thing going. We're not, we're not going to discuss this. So that was one of the main reasons we changed our name to the Starting Point Project. It's all about our starting point. Everyone starts somewhere with their beliefs, it's impossible to not start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. And by that approach, that has opened so many more doors for our ministry and for engagements because they're like the starting point. What's that about? And I kind of say, thank you. Let me explain. So they don't automatically go to these stereotypes that are in their minds. So I had to be very proactive with that with my own ministry. And it's worked extremely well. Again, I'm not trying to fool anyone. We we do still talk about creation. It's very important. But even underlying the creation message is our starting point that we believe that God exists and the Bible is the Word of God. And we go from there. And yeah, it does include the creation account because that's the first thing that you find in Scripture. So please bear with me as I cover some extremely important points. And here's a real-life example that will help you kind of understand this even a little bit further. Think about this. Let's say someone is invited to a baseball game, football, or whatever, some sporting event, and they respond by saying, oh, I'd love to go. That sounds like a lot of fun, but I probably can't go because I, I don't have anyone to watch the dogs while I'm gone, and my car is actually in the shop today, and I, I probably shouldn't spend the money because I don't know what the bill is going to be for repairing. I think it's the transmission has gone bad. Then the person who invited them says, hey, Ask your neighbor if they'll let your dogs out while you're gone. They, You told me. They said they would watch your dogs anytime. They love your dogs. So ask them. They could probably help you out. And I think you can ride with Randy because I think he's got like one or two spots still open in his car. That shouldn't be a problem. Uh, he's got room. And I think I could get you a free ticket because my brother-in-law works at the t- ticket office. And guess what? He actually owes me a favor right now. So I'm pretty sure I could probably get you a free ticket. And then a person responds by saying, yeah, um, I just yeah, I, th- I just think I'll stay home. We've all probably experienced this type of scenario before, whether you're the person who invited someone else to the event or maybe you're the person who turned down the offer. What's the significance of this scenario? Well, fairly often the person being invited just doesn't really want to go, period. They're just throwing out excuses to make you believe that those are the reasons they're not going. They don't want to admit. They just don't want to go. 
So here's the problem. In sincerely trying to work things out for them, you just made it worse for them because you took away their excuses and they just don't want to go, but they don't want to admit that. The point is the person being invited doesn't want to ask his neighbor if he'll wash the dogs or ask about getting a ride with someone else or even pursue finding out if he could get that free ticket or not. It's too risky. Because if all those things fall into place, he's kind of obligated to go since he said, oh, I would love to go. That sounds like so much fun. So he does whatever it takes to avoid knowing about those potentially helpful things. It's much safer that way. Again, you totally relate to that scenario. Again, you might be on either one of those sides. I've been on both sides of that scenario. Well, again, it goes along with the saying, ignorance is bliss. And along that line, uh, I'm kind of a chocoholic. And when I say kind of, I mean like really a chocoholic. I love chocolate. Chocolate ice cream, cake, cookies, brownies, especially with walnuts, uh, M&Ms, and on and on. My wife for years has been helping me make better and better food choices and a little bit at a time. Uh, one day, though, I showed her the back of a package of M&Ms. And I said, see, it says nutritional facts. If M&Ms didn't have any nutrition, they couldn't have nutritional facts. They've got to be good for you. Well, she didn't buy it, but I still buy them. And I was being funny with that, but I'm actually very healthy and I work out a lot all the time. Uh, at the same time, I know that sugar is not the best thing for my health. I am a researcher by nature and by choice. I could delve very, very deeply into the minute details of the effects that sugar really has on our bodies. I already know a fair amount of those things, but I could learn a whole lot more. Here's the rub. What if, in doing so, I became strongly convinced that I should only have about one one-hundredth of what I'm currently consuming, and it all has to be organic dark chocolate in powder form sprinkled on tofu? get kind of crazy with that but what what if i concluded that well okay just shoot me now <laughs> there's no way i'm doing that i don't think i could or worse what if my conclusion was i need to cut out all sugar of any kind whatsoever that would be unbelievably difficult for me to deal with so what's a guy to do well for now i keep eating chocolate but I try not to overdo it, at least not too often. And I, again, make subtle changes here and there. I'm getting better and better rather than worse and worse. But in essence, it's too dangerous for me to really, really look into it because that means I would have to live um, in ignorance. I, I can't take the chance of finding out something that I don't actually want to know. I'm safer not knowing. Now, again... <laughs> That probably speaks to my credibility with my health a little bit, and it does. Probably everyone's there at some point. But I realize that I don't do more research in that area because I'm not sure that I really want to come to certain conclusions. I'm not denying the truthfulness of those things. I'd rather say, you know, I don't really know. I haven't really looked at it, so I'm taking the easy way out. So I am human just like anyone else. Now, that was somewhat of a minor scenario involving what we eat. 
I really think there are parallels here regarding the age of the earth. Oh yeah, we were talking about the age of the earth. There's so much that is so important again to cover before we delve into the depths of this topic. Otherwise I will lose too many people right up front. So many people have an opinion about the age of the earth and they're fairly comfortable with it. Not necessarily because of their in-depth knowledge, which might be actually completely lacking, but because it causes the least amount of discomfort and friction when around others. And I will delve into that a bit deeper later in this series of how we kind of tend to go with something we're more comfortable with. Like me, I'm more comfortable not knowing all the details of sugar than hearing about it and then living with the fact that I'm still eating too much. Uh, here's another real-life example. We just talked about eating. This one has to do about evolution. We, we just discussed evolution quite a bit in previous podcasts. And it has to do with the Christians' views on evolution. Many Christians will say, well, sure, I believe in evolution. I mean, the scientists have basically proven it's true. I mean, <laughs> there's so much evidence. But I don't think it could have really happened all on its own. I mean, I think God used evolution. He's all-powerful, and he can do whatever he wants. And it really doesn't matter anyway, as long as you believe that ultimately he's the one who did it. That's the mindset that they have. That's a very middle-of-the-road answer that doesn't sound too offensive to most people. I mean, after all, it incorporates reason and religion, right? What more could you ask for? Well, someday I will cover this specific topic in much, much greater detail, especially since it's such a common response amongst Christians that God used evolution. God used evolution because they heard it from someone else who said that. It's like, oh, yeah, hey, that makes sense. And that person heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else who heard that really smart religious people have researched it and they determined that that's what's true. It works with science. It works with the Bible. And for the most part, because very few people will push back on it, and you can fit in very comfortably wherever you go. Let's say you're a Christian, but you're at a, in a university setting. You can say, well, yes, I believe in evolution. I'm not ignorant, you know. But if you're a church, you can say, well, certainly I believe that God is the creator. I mean, what do you think? I'm an atheist or something? So whatever the secular scientists come up with, you say, yep, that's how God did it. Yep, that's how God did it. So you're not fighting the scientists at all. But you're also not denying God's existence. You're just saying, oh, apparently that's the way he did it because that's what the scientists have come up with. Again, a whole other topic. We'll cover that in a lot more detail in the future. But with that mindset, don't bother looking into it much further because you might realize, and I'm sure you would, that that response, that God used evolution, doesn't cut it. It's not scientifically viable and it doesn't fit with Scripture. Again, more details in the future. So you're safest just keeping to your current view without thinking a whole lot about it. And if you need to, you can always accuse the challenger of being divisive. You know, perhaps maybe even ignorant of science in the Bible. You, I can't even believe you're bringing this up. You're just ignoring all the science stuff and you're being too dogmatic with your view of the Bible. You can always push back emotionally that way. And we call ad hominem attacking the person rather than the actual argument. Um, and many people do respond that way. But now I have a shocker for you. And this will probably come as a shock to you. I don't really care how old the earth is. What? <laughs> Let me say that again. I don't really care how old the earth is. 
Now, many of you may already know my stance and have been assuming or have been assuming that I have a particular stance on this topic. So why would I say I don't care how old the earth is? Why would I do a whole podcast series then? The explanation is very revealing and cannot be overstated. To me, one value of the earth's age over another is not more or less spiritual than another. I don't care about the exact value. In fact, and listen to me very, very closely in this, the whole topic, even though it's about the age of the earth, it's not really about the age of the earth. So what is it about? It's ultimately about the authority of Scripture. Really? Yes, really. Now, wait a minute. Am I saying that we should ignore what science says and just go with whatever the Bible says? Not at all. This is so, so critical, so hear me out on this. On one hand, you can always ignore what science says. Here's why. You can ignore it because you cannot possibly pay attention to something that doesn't exist. Whoa, what in the world am I saying? Am I saying that science doesn't exist? No, not at all. In fact, that's not what I said. If you go back to the podcast and listen, I didn't say anything like that at all. Science certainly exists, but it doesn't say anything. We've talked about this before. Science never says anything. Scientists do. They say a lot of stuff. (laughs) Scientists, men and women, they look at the physical world around us and they make notes as to what they observe. Then they tell us what they think about what they've seen. When they tell us that the density of pyrite is 5 grams per cubic centimeter, they didn't gain that information Because as they walked by some pyrite, it called out, hey, just so you know, my density is 5 grams per cubic centimeter. (laughs) The scientists had to take measurements and record the information they found. What they wrote, since it's been performed numerous times by various scientists and we've never, ever seen an experiment contradicting that, it can be considered as a fact. What does this fact mean? Well, facts don't speak for themselves. The pyrite didn't say, yeah, my density is 5 grams per cubic centimeter, and here's what it means. As I mentioned in one of the earliest podcasts, again, facts don't speak for themselves. They have to be interpreted to give them any kind of meaning. And the way you interpret facts is by using what you currently believe to be true. You're using your starting point, your world view. So is pyrite very dense? That depends. What are you comparing it to? You have to interpret this value. In and of itself, it's neither very dense or not very dense. Now, if we compare its density to styrofoam, I'd say it's very dense. (laughs) However, if you're comparing it to the mass of a neutron star, I'd say it's not dense at all. The formation of a neutron star, just a side note, occurs when you have this massive star that runs out of fuel and it collapses in on itself, crushing together every proton and electron into a neutron. 
So you got this massive star and it just collapses into a very small mass and it's incredibly dense. Just for fun, I mentioned that pyrite is, it actually is, five grams per cubic centimeter. That's its density. A neutron star density varies, but it can be up to a hundred or sorry, eight hundred trillion grams per cubic centimeter. Pyrite is five grams. Neutron star is 800 trillion grams per cubic centimeter. That's like taking, picture this, that's like taking a Boeing 747, the whole thing, and squishing it down to the size of a single grain of sand. <laughs> so picture walking up to a 747. You, you couldn't budge the thing. You couldn't try to lift it or anything. Well, picture bending down to pick up a grain of sand that weighs the same thing because all that mass is squished down into that size. That's what we're talking about with the density of a neutron star. How do we get off on this tangent? It's your fault. Or maybe I'm too dense. <laughs> Not quite sure about that. Um, so we don't ignore what science says because it doesn't say anything. <laughs> However, we don't ignore what scientists say. We just scrutinize what they say to see if it's truly valid. When they are sharing things such as the density of pyrite, we don't really have valid reasons to question their findings. Why? Well, because it's what we call observational science. We've covered this in detail earlier this year. This is based on direct observations we can make in the laboratory or the field. And the experiments can be carried out over and over and over under the same conditions by all sorts of people. When done this way, the results are consistent each time, then we can call these things facts. The other type of science, though, is called historical science, and that deals with events that occurred in the unobserved past when no one is around to observe them. We cannot make direct measurements. We cannot repeat our experiments because the event was a one-time occurrence in largely unknown conditions. Um, these you know, such things as the origin of the universe and the origin of life fall on, into that category because those things, origin of life, origin of the universe, they involve a lot of guesses and assumptions about the past which are unverifiable. We don't know what it was like when these things happened. These guesses and assumptions are constructed by each scientist based on their worldview, their starting point, whatever they have, whatever they currently believe they're going to use that. They will generally always make guesses and assumptions that are consistent with what they already believe. With what we've chosen as you know, our foundation, we use that to then interpret new facts. You can quickly see that if one's starting point is faulty, using it to make guesses about the past is bound to lead to wrong conclusions. All of this is so unbelievably key when discussing topics like the age of the earth. And I'm making a decision right now to wind this episode down. We're, we're just getting started and there's even more we need to cover that is going to set such a solid foundation for this topic, trust me, please trust me for now that what you're hearing now is going to make all of the stuff when we talk about the scientific details and radiometric dating and carbon-14 and all those things, which we will discuss. We're not going to skirt that at all. I can't wait to get to that. But those things will make so much more sense and be so much more impactful knowing what you're learning before we get to that. So thanks for hanging in there with me. What do we got coming up next? Well, it will be what we're calling creation in six days. This is part one. 
We'll do creation in six days, part two. We'll be going through a little bit more background information, and then eventually we'll be headed into discussing what the outline is going to be for the rest of the series. What are we actually covering? So hang in there. Again, reminder, please subscribe to our podcast. Tell your friends about them. Give a five-star review if you can. And again, I, I guarantee you, this is going to heat up more and more and more. It'll be really thrilling. No matter what side of the aisle you might be on on this topic, I think it'll be really eye-opening and very rational. Again, I'm not asking you to feel this in your heart or anything. I'm not asking you to ignore what you learned about this or that. No. I want to talk about the things that you have learned, that I have learned, that were being presented day in, day out from their school system, universities, textbooks, documentaries, YouTube, all these things. We will be talking about those things in light of the topic of the age of the earth. And you might be pretty surprised that your views start to shift, if not completely change altogether. Again, I'm not here to twist your arm or anything. I'm just here to look at this rationally, just like we have all the previous topics. So thanks for listening today. We will see you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and the Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.